is The Talking Dead, a podcast dedicated to the AMC TV show, The Walking Dead. Hi, my name is Jason. And my name is Chris. And this is The Talking Dead, episode 139 for Wednesday, December 4th, 2013. Ah, so Jason, hi, how are you? Hi, I'm good, how are you? I'm good too. Let me ask you a question. Ask me a question, Chris. Are you are you relieved in a small way that the first half of the season over is over and we're going into a break? Or are you? would you have preferred to have just keep powering through and get just keep the season going right to the finish? Uh, I haven't thought about this. Um, I don't think I'm relieved. I think uh, I'm okay with it. Mm-hmm. I'm not disappointed. I'm not unhappy about it, but I'm not, uh, I don't think, uh, I would be good either way, really. Okay. Well, I ask only because I find myself being uh, a little bit relieved in that we can take a break. It gives us a chance to reflect on the first half of the season, maybe rewatch it if we want to. Right. Um, before we have to get right into the second half, which seems like it's going to be very, very different from the first half. So... I, you know, as a, as a viewer, and if I was just a regular fan of this show, I'd be like, oh, come on, let's keep it going, right? But as a podcaster and one who covers the show every week, I think it'll be a nice little break, time to reflect and uh, move on. And I do find myself feeling good that uh, I'll have a little bit more free time to enjoy or to enjoy the holidays and stuff like that. So I don't so- think this break is a bad thing. What what you're saying is you're tired and lazy, and all you want to do is eat Christmas cookies and drink eggnog. <laughs> Come on, Christmas cookies and eggnog are are delicious. No, but that's all you want to do. Maybe watch some hockey. I do love the hockey. Yeah, drink some beer, put your feet up. You know, look at porn on the internet. Well, you know, relax. <laughs> just take it easy. <laughs> no, that's not it. I just I just think that you know having a Having two podcasts a week, we are going full speed from, you know, September to December, which is fantastic. And I love doing this show. I would never trade it for anything in the world. But I think it's nice to take a little break and reflect. And I think I may actually rewatch the first half of this season over the break because I want to I wanna see how it feels a second time through when I'm not really thinking about it and thinking about how it's going to play or not play, but how we're going to cover it on the show and things like that. You know, just sit and let it wash over me. Actually, over the summer break, I'm, uh, I haven't gone back and rewatched previous seasons in a while. I'm, I'm actually thinking that, uh, you know, come June or July, I might, uh, I might just sit down and watch the entire series again. Yeah, start right, right, right from, from the Right from the horse. <laughs> the horse, eh? Yeah, the beginning. Yeah, well... Well, you don't put the cart before the horse, so you put the horse first, so the horse is at the front. The horse is at the front. Well, that makes a lot of sense, I'll tell you. Yeah, right from the horse. Watch that thing from the beginning, and, well, you know, that's not a bad idea. And someday, when this is all over and done, and, um, you know, they we've seen the last episode of The Walking Dead ever, we should probably go back and watch the whole thing and just recover it on the podcast and see how it goes. Yeah, good plan, good plan. Good plan. But let's not commit to anything too serious right now. Um, speaking of the break, at the end of this show, we'll tell you what our plans are basically for the uh, holiday break and, and uh, before The Walking Dead comes back, which, by the way, is going to be on February the 9th. That, that, that's a good day. Yeah, that was announced. That feels a little bit earlier than other years, but I didn't go look up when it came back Only last year. like a week. Yeah, I know, only a week, but... Because we know. always talked about, uh, you know, Valentine's Day. You know, how it starts on Valentine's Day kind of thing. So we have, uh, I think, mid-February, but February 9th is you know, it's pretty close. I don't think that's uh, out of line. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe it's just because it's a single-digit day in February. It feels like it's towards the beginning beginning of the month more than the middle or the end. But I don't know. Yeah, I'm, I'm okay with it. I don't want it to come back later. And, Here's uh, a bit of trivia. The, the, the ninth is the last single-digit day in February. Ooh, that is good trivia. I wouldn't yeah. have known that if you hadn't told me. Yeah, it is the last one of February. Every month has a last single-digit day. It's usually every single month. Usually the ninth, but usually, but I I don't want to say that for sure because just because something has happened one way since time began, it doesn't mean it will happen that way as we progress forward. That's right, exactly. Right. right? I wouldn't want to assume anything. 
No. Yeah. It, you know, the possibility exists that it's not going to be the last single digit day, but uh, however, the, the it's probable that it is. Probably, yes. Yeah. All right. Um, should we get into what we are here to do, Jason? And that is a uh, feedback, listener feedback that we've received for the season, mid-season finale? I, I think so, because if we don't, then we're just going to keep talking about stuff like uh, we were talking about and nobody wants that. You know, we say that every week, I think, but maybe we should start a podcast where we just talk about nothing. <laughs> well, it's less than nothing. What? <laughs> it's, it's like that's a good it, name. Calling it calling it trivia is a uh, you know is 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 not quite right. It's less than trivia. Less than nothing is a not a bad name for a podcast. Yeah, I may Let's have to. I may have to register that domain before I release this episode. Yeah, do it. Make it so. <laughs> Although less than nothing, I'm, .com, I'm sure, is taken. Anyhow. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, enough of this crap. Let's, uh, let's get into listener feedback. Listener feedback. All right. Well, who's starting this week? Who's, who's going? You. I am? You. you. Is it always me? It's always you. All righty. This comes from Facebook. Matt sent us a message, and he said, Hey, Chris and Jason, just wondering what happened to the ratings. I really enjoyed hearing how many people were tuning into the show. Just noticed the last couple of podcasts, you haven't said anything about them. Well, Matt, that is a very good point. Yeah, what happened there? Did I, you forget? I did. I, I just sort of forgot the way we did things, and uh, I You're stopped. tired and lazy, and all you want to do is eat Christmas cookies and drink eggnog. And I stopped doing the ratings. So yeah. I got to okay. lay off the eggnog and pay attention to what's going on, Yeah, I totally. think. But anyways, that being said, I'm going to tell you people the ratings for the last three episodes of season four. Okay. So here they go. Okay. This is the two Governor episodes and, of course, Too Far Gone. So the first Governor episode, Live Bait, was watched by 12 million people. Still a lot of people. Not, not too bad. Deadweight, the one after that, was 11.29 million. Slightly less. And then Too Far Gone, the mid-season finale, was 12.10 million. Then more. That's right. Now, those don't come anywhere close to the biggest episode of this season, which was the first one, 30 Days Without an Accident. That had 16.11 million people. 16.11. Yes. That was the one, I think, that beat out uh, Monday Night Football or the, the NFL football in the right. States, which, like, that, never happens. That's a lot of humans. And they don't even count, like, dogs and cats. And who knows? There's probably just as many of those watching, too. Yeah, I know my cats watch TV. That's right. Um, At least listen to it. <laughs> 16.11 million people is approaching half of the population of Canada. It really is. And I'm not kidding about that. You know, it's that's a drop in the bucket for the United States population. Well, maybe yeah. not a drop in the bucket, but it's less of a percentage. But half of the population of Canada, if, you know, all those people were here watching it. That's pretty impressive. Yeah, it, we're pretty spread out up here in Canada. I'm surprised that we run into anybody ever. <laughs> yeah, that's right. If it wasn't for this border along the United States, you'd never see anybody the whole time. <laughs> that's right. It's because, what's the statistic? 80% of our population lives within 200 kilometers of the U.S. border or something like that? Something like that. It's uh, it's quite a bit. It might not be 80%, but that's it's pretty high. It's pretty high. When you figure that Montreal, Toronto, uh, and Vancouver are all almost right on the border so right all right well uh sorry about that matt i'll try in, in the second half of this season jason you're not going to let me forget that we do ratings for the previous episode okay Eek. okay just saying right well, now. i don't know now i have to remember everything uh, the pressure's on me now yeah exactly all right exactly we'll, we'll try together why don't we do this as a group all right as the a, two of us as a group a team a team even all righty all right, so we have a couple of emails on Carl's rifle. The first one is from Clayton uh, from the internet. The rifle that car is Carl is aiming at the governor uh, is a Marlin model 1894, which is the year it was manufactured. Uh, during the scene with Daryl and Carl, Daryl says it's 50 yards to the governor. Looks farther than that to me. 50 yards is easily well within the range of all of the rifles the prison group is using. Even at three times the distance, Daryl would still be able to hit anyone he wanted, and depending on the chambering of his rifle, Carl might too. So we asked the question about whether Carl would have any hope in hell of hitting the governor from where he was with the gun he was using. And Clayton seems to answer it. Based on 50 yards, the answer seems <clears throat> to be yes. Yes. Carl could probably hit the governor. 
Um, Depending on the chambering. I don't know what that means. Whatever that means. Yeah. (laughs) As you can see, we're not gun people. No. But uh, thank you, Clayton, for sending that in. Are you sure 1894 is the year it was manufactured? That's not like model number 1894? Well, they usually do the model numbers based on the year it was manufactured. So yeah, it's the year it was manufactured. So guns and Windows operating systems. Uh, yeah, except that I think that firearms are actually the year it was, uh, the year the model was made. Okay. Maybe not the year it was manufactured, but the year the model was made. All right, I see. Well, Lori from the internet sends an email in, too, on the same uh, topic. She says, I used Walking Dead Locations. That is another website that catalogs all the shooting and filming locations. I have been in touch with those guys before. Uh, in fact, when we went to Atlanta, I tweeted at them to find out where we should go in our one day of uh, location exploration and they got back to me with some valuable information so thanks you guys if you are listening but Lori says i used walking dead locations to find the prison set on a map then google pedometer to draw a straight line from approximately where philip was standing below the front gate and the overturned bus to where carl was located the courtyard gate distance was about 0.05 miles wikipedia lists some of the longest distance sniper kills begin at 0.8 of a mile. Even the shortest distance logged is about 0.77 of a mile. Yes, those shooters were using sniper rifles, but those distances are well beyond what Carl was about to do. And I firmly believe that it is very realistic for Carl to have winged Philip, specifically because we know Carl's history uh, with, with firearms and his calm marksmanship displays during stress. Right. So the distance is 0.05 miles, and a sniper can kill a guy at 0.8 of a mile. So, right. um, you know, a lot farther away. <laughs> <laughs> so that's about 88 yards. 80. So 0.05 of a mile is about 88 yards, because I looked it up, and there are 1,760 yards in a mile. Uh-huh. And multiply that by, by 0.05, it gets us uh, 88. 88. So Daryl said 50. It's actually 88. And uh, as Clayton in the previous email said, it looked farther. 88, I think, is a pretty good estimation. And uh, whether Carl could actually make that shot or not, I don't know. But it sounds like it's within the realm of possibility. Yeah, I and think I, so. And I'm okay with it now. Depending on the chambering. <clears throat> yeah, the one thing I I don't think Carl thought through was that if he shot the governor at that point, it just leaves his dad open and exposed and basically, you know, would probably get cut down with gunfire. Well, yeah, that's that's the problem, is you can't kill everybody in that uh, that one shot. No. So, yeah, you have to sacrifice your dad. That's why, uh, I think that's why Daryl was saying, you know, let your father, father handle this. It's, uh, you know, if you take the shot, then he dies. Yeah, exactly, and you, no one wants that. Right. Okay. All right, so that's it on Carl's rifle. We do have an email here from Angie from uh, Birmingham, UK. <laughs> Very good. I love how, what? <laughs> I said very good. <laughs> yeah, thank you. I love how Daryl tells Carl to trust his dad. Speaking of which, uh, even after dealing with the news Rick kicked out Carol, Daryl tr- still trusts him. And uh, she has a second point here. Uh, Jason, you seem to have trouble with the pronunciation. It's the same as Birmingham, Alabama, only colder, grayer, and wetter. The only problem I have, thank you, Angie, by the way, the only problem I have with the note about the pronunciation is that I, as a, you know, typical wacky Canadian, I would say Birmingham, Alabama, which I'm pretty sure people here and cringe at because I don't think it's Birmingham, Alabama, just like I don't think it's Birmingham, UK. I think it's more of a Birmingham. Birmingham. Right? Birmingham, Alabama and Birmingham, UK. Right. But, you know, growing up, I definitely would have said Birmingham because the word ham is right there at the end. And if you have (laughs) the word ham, you want to pronounce it. Yeah. (laughs) That's all I'm saying. Well, we have a, what is it, Burnham Thorpe? Burnham Thorpe? Burnham Thorpe. That's the name of a street here in Toronto. Yeah, and it's Burnham Thorpe. Burnham Thorpe. See, I want to say Burnham Thorpe now. And there's uh, there's an actually uh, a street out near uh, Peterborough called uh, Ashburnham. Ash, Ashburnham. Ashburnham. It's all like the three stages of cooking a ham. <laughs> <laughs> Except, backwards. I don't know, yeah, backwards maybe. <laughs> Ashburnham. <laughs> Ham burn ash. <laughs> yeah, I, I I love driving by that street when we're uh, we're heading out that way. All right. Um. So Angie's point. Daryl 
Carl, no, Rick. (laughs) Somebody. Somebody had just finished telling Daryl the whole Carol thing, and we know how he reacted. He took it okay, even he didn't seem to be, uh, he seemed to be a little bit upset, but he took it okay. But almost in the very next scene, Rick is telling Carl, you got to trust your dad, he knows what he's doing. So clearly, Daryl has a lot of respect for Rick. Yep. And his decision-making abilities. Which That's I think true. is interesting. You you know, I could see this playing out in a way where, you know, Daryl's a bit pissed and he's questioning Rick. And so now we're suddenly in this situation here and he's like, and Carl says, I could end this right now. I could shoot. And uh, maybe Daryl thinks, huh, maybe sacrificing somebody like Rick who's standing out in the open would be okay to end this situation right now. But that's not how it went down. You think so? Well, no, I don't actually think that's what they would do on the show, but it it would be logical if Daryl was that pissed off about Rick's decision to banish Carol to, you know, maybe not maybe not go along or or maybe think Carl has a good idea here, you know? Right. I don't know. I got gotcha. you. I got gotcha. you. I don't know, but I I anyways, the way it did go down, I think says a lot about the relationship with between Rick and Daryl and uh clearly they they're still best buds. Uh, yes, they are. So there you go. Uh, what's next? Herbert on the Herbert. internet. Yeah. He writes, love the mid-season finale. I feel like we finally got the episode that should have happened last season, and I like the fact that we can finally move on from the prison and the governor. The one thing I don't like, though, is how in-your-face this season's theme is. I get it. It's a rough world, <laughs> and you don't and you uh, and you do things to survive that you normally wouldn't. And it can be hard to come back from that. Do we really have to make it a point for a character to ask that in every episode? The writers really wanted to drive that home this season. It's clear. Let's just move on. Hmm. What do you think about that? Yeah, and everybody's got a job to do. That's the thing that jumped out at me the most in at least three or four episodes. Maybe only three, but at least but twice in one of them. They talked about everyone having a job to do, and yeah. that's similar to the theme that Herbert's talking about here. Like him, I'm good. I get the idea. We can yep. we can just show people doing their jobs now rather than telling us every two episodes that they have one to do. Right. Yeah, you've bashed this in the face enough. You know, we got it. <laughs> we got it. Yeah, it's... It, <laughs> It's pretty clear at this point. And, and, you know, we've said it before. When it comes to themes, yes, it's fine to sometimes have a character, you know, verbalize the theme to cement it or, or hammer it home. But it's better to, to write in a way that sort of shows the viewer what you're trying to uh, portray rather than um, sort of speak it to them, you know? Yep. yep. Show me, don't tell me. It's, it's, it's a common thing in TV and movies. Um, so, yeah, I, I don't think they... I think they've told us enough. Now prove it by showing it to us. Yeah, I agree with you. Very good. All right, so the next few emails have to do with Judith. So we have an email from Paul on the internet. Just rewatched, and now I'm convinced that Judith is alive and was taken by Ty- Tyrese and the kids. Why? Two reasons. Number one, as others will have no doubt noted, the car seat was buckled when we last saw her alive. This opens the possibility that someone removed her rather than being killed where she sat. Otherwise, there'd be remains other than blood still strapped in. Number two, when the girls rescue Tyrese, he tells them that they have to escape. They then run off, and he tells them that they're going the wrong way. Where could they be going? Uh, Given that we last saw them with Judith, it's likely that they were taking him back to where they had left her. I think it's unrealistic to point to the blood uh, in the seat as proof that she died, as bodies were being ripped apart left, right, and center, and they even show blood on the floor surrounding it. So there's my conclusion. Judith is alive and with Tyrese and the girls. Okay, so Judith. there's The whole Judith question is is a big one, actually, right now. And, yeah, I know, you know, you and I basically agreed that in the last podcast that we didn't see her die, but I think it's safe to assume that Judith is gone. She's not going to be on the show anymore. And they basically had to be gentle with the audience because they didn't want to show a baby being killed by a zombie or some other way. Right. That is, for me anyways, at least 50% out the window now. I you still think so? Yeah. I still think it may go that way. But I think there is mounting evidence 
that Judith is actually alive and uh, was rescued by Tyrese or possibly one of the kids, but mostly Tyrese. I think that if they could eat all of Lori, they can eat the baby uh, out of the car seat strapped in or not. Yeah, the timing doesn't work either, though. I mean, that gunfight couldn't have been more than a half hour. <clears throat> and uh, the you know, if, if somebody can take a couple of hours and eat Lori, Lori, they can probably just swallow the baby whole. <laughs> just pick it up, eat it. Okay, but the buckles are undone. That's true. Zombies wouldn't undo buckles unless you factor in some sort of zombie parent residual memory, and the zombie opened the buckles, took the baby out before it ate it. All right, so let's think. If it was, let's just assume that for a second, for the sake of argument, that it was mountain lions that were attacking the prison. Sure. Now, if there was a baby in, strapped in a car seat, what would happen? The mountain lions, the hungry attacking mountain lions, not that they gang up on prisons, but uh, let's just for the sake of argument say it. So the mountain lion would probably start eating the baby and, uh, you know, start like ripping parts off. And uh, eventually it would probably just rip the baby out of the car seat and take the body away and finish it off up a tree or, you know, wherever mountain lions like to eat. Mm-hmm. So the, in that case, there would be blood. Lots of blood, and the buck it would still be buckled. Right, but in the episode, it was unbuckled. It was unbuckled. Yeah, that's that's. I think that's eventually what I, what I'm getting at. I just uh, so I'm sort of halfway there now too. Okay, so we've got two more emails too about Judith, and uh, then I've got some information slash a theory if if it's not covered in these emails. Uh, so the next one is from Marie in Montreal. She says, after the bloody car seat scene from last night, I was 100% sure that Judith was dead. Then someone pointed out to me a scene in which Tyrese is seen running from an explosion with something in his arms. It's at 3858 of the episode. I think Judith's, Judith's fate can go either way at this point. Kirkman also said that he likes to use the show as a way to explore alternate options or to improve parts of the story, and this might be one of those cases. So, I went looking for this scene, and I found it. Basically, what happens is we have the scene with Tyrese taking cover behind the uh, flower flowers or whatever they were. Right. And Lizzie and the kids run up. Lizzie takes out Alicia and the guy that she's with, basically rescues Tyrese. Tyrese then pops up and says something like, we got to get to safety. The kids run off the other way back towards the last time we saw them with Judith. Right. Okay. And Tyrese says, hey, you're going the wrong way. We were supposed to go that way. But they're gone already, and Tyrese then runs off towards the same way the kids go, presumably to go get them and bring them back. Right. So the question is, first of all, why did the kids run off the wrong way? And the answer to that could be to go get the baby, to go get Judith, before they tried to escape the prison. Um, and then Tyrese went after them to get them and uh, possibly found Judith sitting there alive in her uh, in her car seat. Right. And shortly after that in the episode, there is a shot of the tank, still functional, and the tank shoots out the prison bridge. You know the bridge I'm talking about? I do. It's the one that Axel and Carol were um, sort of reinforcing in that scene in season three. Yep. And uh, and also where Rick and Laurie talked and stuff like that. So there's a scene where the shoot the the tank shoots out that bridge. It explodes in debris, and you see Tyrese running under the bridge, just making it through. Yep. And he's running under. His gun is strapped to his back, so he's not holding his gun, but it but his arms are are sort of crossed in front of him. Now, it's a long shot from the back, but his arms are definitely in front of him as if he's holding something. And he's holding it kind of like a football or like you'd hold some sort of football-sized object. And uh, now the internet seems to think that if you get a high enough quality image of that and zoom in, you can even see the baby's head. I was not able to see any baby head in the scene. But the fact is he's running off holding something and he makes it through. Now, there's no sign of the other kids, like Lizzie and Mika and the two others, but I think what happened, or what we are supposed to believe, is that Tyrese went after the kids. He f- he at least found Judith, if he didn't find the other kids. 
picked up Judith because it's a lot easier to run carrying a baby, you know, close to your body than in a car seat, and ran off that way into the basically into the prison holding her, and uh, he's and she's now with him. Now that doesn't necessarily mean Judith is alive. I mean, she could be dead or she could be in bad condition and she doesn't survive. But I think I think it's all there on screen. I think that Tyrese has Judith. Whether she survives or not, I don't know. Okay. So I'm just, uh, as you may notice, Chris, because you got video, I'm actually watching the tape right now. And I've got a pretty high-definition version of it that I'm kind of stopping and starting. And, and I agree with everything you say. I, I can't see the head, but he's definitely got something in his hands. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he's running, yeah, he's running carrying something. Definitely carrying something. And to to further this, towards the end of the episode, which isn't very much longer, uh, when Rick and Carl find the empty car seat, it is positioned directly in front of the exploded bridge. So you can't see the car seat in the in the Tyrese running scene, but you can see the bridge behind the car seat lined up perfectly with where Tyrese would have found it and then run that direction. Right. So I am pretty sure that, you know, if I'm pretty sure this wasn't all accidental, right? This is intentional. They're trying to, they're trying to show us that Tyrese went that way because the kids let him there. He picked up something and ran off. And then we see the empty, albeit filled with blood car seat. Um, that is sort of right where it should be. So, I don't know. I don't really think Judith is gone anymore, and we may find her again. Yeah, I think uh, I think there's some pretty valid points here so far. Mm-hmm. Um, now, there are other theories out there, including the next email. Why don't you read the next email? All right, so we have an email from Ali on the Internet. I hope Lily and her sister Tara found Judith and raise her as their own. Rick does not deserve her, and I think that the mid-season premiere should have Rick and Carl assume that Judith was eaten by a walker, but include a scene that shows that Lily and Tara found her and decide to take her, thereby giving her character a second chance with a daughter, similar to how the governor was with Megan. Uh, They can remove Judith from the show without actually killing her and letting Carl and Rick think otherwise. I think Allie here has one of the best ideas or points that hadn't occurred to me before in that mm. you can find a way to get rid of a character from a show, even a baby without killing them off. Right. Even a show like this where everyone who leaves dies pretty much. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Um, so what if Lily and Tara found Judith somehow and, uh, and took off with her in on one hand that could happen and we never see any of them again. But on the other hand, it might be interesting to to find out that Judith is okay, she's with these two, and they're going to make a go at it, make the best of it. Uh, yeah, I think this is, uh, is going to turn out to be a true fact. That, that you think that, that uh, Lily actually is going to have the baby? Yep, I think that uh, this is exactly what's going to happen. I now believe this. You know, I still think, well, I think definitely that Tyrese took the kid out of the car seat. But I wouldn't be surprised if Tyrese somehow connects with Lily and Tara. Um, you know, he doesn't know who they are, but he might find them as other survivors shortly after they sort of all flee the prison. Right. And the three of them hole up together somewhere or, you know, start traveling somewhere with the baby. And Tyrese is probably going to go on a mission to find Rick because he's like, I've got your kid. <laughs> I want right. to deliver her back. But... Um, that may be the case, you know, and maybe we get into a scenario where we see a storyline of Tyrese with uh, with Tara and uh, and Lily, and you know they they try to find Rick, they lose hope, they don't. Tara and Lily decide to go off on their own with the baby, and Tyrese is left by himself or something like that. And goodbye, family, and and that's it. And that's how they get rid of Lilith, uh, Judith off the show. Yep. You know, I I don't know. I'm just speculating there, but I think it could go down that way and I would be satisfied with that I would also as well be satisfied in addition to you alright I guess we'll find out in the new year in the future sure hope we do anyways yeah 
Uh, okay. One more email from Bernard in the UK. And I just got to say about Bernard, he, in his email, he, he let us know that he, um, he was a fan of The Walking Dead and he went online looking for other fans and other ways to sort of interact with the show. And he came across our podcast and he, he told me that we are the one and only podcast he listens to. And he has never listened to another one until he found us and he, we are still the only one that he's ever tuned into. So wow. I, I'm honored. Like, yeah, absolutely. For us to be the only show that is, that is really special. So thank you, Bernard, for tuning in and uh, now go and find some other cool shows because there's tons out there and you can... Well, that was my, my first thought was that uh, that that is an honor and that's uh, absolutely fascinating, but uh, we should send him an email with like a list of 30 or 40 podcasts that we listen to and, and very much enjoy. Yeah, there's so much out there, man. Go there. to Frog Pants, go to uh, Twit, the Twit Network. Yeah. Uh, that's some good stuff there. Lots of good comedy shows and so on. Uh, uh, this P American Life, oh my God. Yeah, in, in, out of um, NPR in the States, yeah. Yeah. Really, really good stuff. Yeah. Anyhow, Bernard, because we're the only one, thank you. That is spectacular. Yeah. Now, Bernard wrote, I agree with both you guys. The baby must be dead. Obviously, they could not show a baby being killed on TV, so they only showed a bloody car seat. If they come back after the mid-season break with the baby alive, I will be very interested in finding out how the car seat could have been full of blood and the baby alive. I have been thinking it over in my head, and really there is no scenario short of a very stupid one where this could happen. Let's say the girls took the baby out to run faster and then left the car seat behind. What, a walker came by and puked in the seat? <laughs> I really cannot come up with any valid storyline where this seat can have blood in it so fast and the baby is alive. Well, hopefully after listening to the previous three emails and me ramble on about theories and stuff, and you too, Jason, Bernard, you have a couple better ideas now. Cause... Yeah, but where did the blood come from? Okay, that is a good question. We don't yeah. know where the blood came from. What, uh, Tyrese replaced it with a blood-filled balloon? <laughs> uh, I don't know. Was Tyrese, was he hit? Was he hit? Was he bleeding when he picked the baby up? Well, still, I, that's, that's still a lot of blood for somebody who's bleeding. Like, you know, you're not going to bleed that much in a, in a car seat that you're fiddling with for f four seconds. And if you do, I mean, well, maybe he had trouble getting the latch open. I mean, I don't know. I don't think he was shot. Maybe he replaced the baby with like a groundhog or something and the and then strapped that in. Oh, but then the straps were undone. No, this doesn't make any sense. I don't know where the blood came from. I mean, is it could it just be Maybe the car seat was just bloody to begin with. Exactly. Like, well, the whole world is bloody, so we might as well keep our baby in a in a bloody car seat. Maybe the blood happened before this whole fight. Maybe the blood has always been there. They couldn't, you know what? We saw a lot of car seats in that traffic jam on the highway in season two. So I was just thinking that maybe it's a used car seat with a uh, that was once uh, a dead baby in there. And they're like, well, would you get rid of that dead baby? We'll put our live baby in there. Well, okay, you, we're good to go. This is the zombie apocalypse. You use the supplies that you have available to you. Gross. You know? Yeah, definitely gross. But you need a car seat because you, you drive a lot. Apparently, you need, when you take the baby out for a drive to get it to go to sleep in your Hyundai, you need a car seat for that. Well, it's also handy for carrying. It's one of those ones that he has a handle, right? Yeah. So. Yeah, absolutely. So I, I'm thinking that blood was already there. You know? That could be. That's, uh, I think we've got it all figured out there, Jason. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> the blood was already there. Tyrese has the baby. And then Lily is going to take the baby and leave the, leave the show forever. Right. Done and done. Done and done. Okay, so we have an email from Anthony in Warrington, UK. Anthony. Ant Anthony, sorry. Yes. Uh, now that the governor is dead, I wanted to raise the thought that both uh, Philip and Rick's story arcs are very similar. Now, Anthony provides a bunch of examples, uh, and we're, uh, we have a few here. Both have, leaders, uh, both have been leaders of a group and stepped up to the role even when they didn't want the power. If you consider Rick in Season 1 and the background story of the governor in Season 3, they are similar. Point number two, both have killed their best friends. Rick killed Shane to protect his family, where Brian killed Martinez to protect his new family from bringing the return of the governor. Uh, both have killed, or point number three, both have killed humans to stay alive, and both have killed humans in cold blood. Rick killed Andrew in season three, and the guys in the bar in season two, where the governor has killed many in cold blood. The point, point I'm trying to make is that if you live long enough, 
in this world, you're bound to go through similar story arcs. Can you imagine Rick and Philip meeting before the zombie apocalypse? I think they could easily have been good friends, which just shows how intense the new world really is and how making the right choices to survive is somewhat impossible. Yeah, so it's hard to make the right choices if you always want to survive. Um, Is there any sort of, this is a question that uh, I don't know if either of us will be able to answer, but is there any sort of literary construct or theory whereby you have two characters, a hero and a villain, and in, um, in every way they are the same or at least similar, yet their outcome or um, perspective on things is vastly different, making one of them the hero and one of them the villain. Well, the story of Jesus and Lucifer. Well, I don't know that one. <laughs> <laughs> Me neither, really. <laughs> I do know that Lucifer was an angel cast out of heaven, uh-huh. and Jesus is the one and only Son of God. So maybe not that similar. But see, I don't think this is an unusual thing to get two characters in a story that are similar in most ways, yet come across as hero and villain. Um, well, and- aren't most heroes and villains brothers? Like <laughs> Sherlock and Moriarty, uh, Professor Evil, or Dr. Evil. He didn't go to evil medical school for eight years for nothing. So Dr. Evil and uh, the other guy. Well... So far, you have one and a half examples. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, what's his name? Dr. Evil, Mike... Uh, Mike, Mike the Myers. Movies. I mean, Goldfinger, they made a bunch of movies. What yeah, was yeah. his name? Um, Help me out here, man. <laughs> oh, my God. Yes, the Mike Myers uh, movies, James Bond type thing, comedy. Oh, my God, I can't remember. <laughs> oh, my God. What's wrong with us? Shagadelic. We like, live for pop culture. What's going on? I don't know. Anyway, they were brothers. Dr. And- Evil and him were brothers? Yeah, they were. Uh, they went to school together. I'm sorry. They weren't necessarily brothers. Okay. Anyways, that's not what I'm getting at. What I'm getting at is I, th- I think there's got to be some sort of literary storytelling construct whereby the, um, the, the sort of protagonist and the villain are, um, are similar or at least r- relatable together. Austin Powers. That's the one, Austin Good Powers. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> right? And The Walking Dead is no exception, right? We have the governor and we have Rick who, I guess, have had similar storylines, as Anthony points out here. They've had to kill innocent people to stay alive. They had to kill their best friend. It comes down to even those sorts of details, right, where they've had to do similar things, yet the end result for each character is wildly different. Right. Or even the end result might not even be wildly different, but the way they approach it and the way they approach doing what they want ends up with uh, sort of very different attitudes or different approaches to a goal, right? Right, right, right. I think it's I think it's an interesting thing to study, and people smarter than me could probably talk about it a lot better than uh, than uh, I can. So, yeah. Anyways, it's an interesting point. Now, is that always going to be the case? I wonder. Is there always going to be a villain on the show that's kind of the uh, antithesis antithesis of Rick, or at least you know the same as Rick, but with a with a different outcome? I don't know. We'll have to see. I hope there's not constantly a villain either. You know what I mean? Like The Walking Dead doesn't always need one character that's clearly the villain because we also have danger from the zombies. We have the struggle to survive. We have you know, the struggle to find other people. There's lots of things they can explore on this yep. show. So I don't know. I, maybe now that the governor's dead, we'll move on to a period of villainless, I don't know, survival. What do we have? We have uh, man versus man, man versus machine, van, man versus himself, man versus nature, van, man versus monster. I don't know if that's an actual literary uh, trope, but uh, it's it's true in this day and age. It should be. Uh, so uh, this is this would be man versus man. They might might. Uh, I don't think they necessarily need to have that all the time. Well, we've had man versus monster with zombies, man versus nature, yeah. um, kind of with the flu, I guess, and uh, man versus himself. I mean, we have that too. Yeah. So we've explored all mm. these different avenues on this show. Man versus machine. We need that one next. Man versus machine. Man versus dinosaur. Man versus lich. There's yes. all kinds of stuff. Yeah, that's true. We could do any of those. <laughs> um, man versus machine could be difficult in this world. It really could. Um, but we'll see. You never know. Never know what they might come up with. Yeah. What's next? Uh, Ashley. 
Is it me? Yeah. It's me. Ashley from Kansas writes, What an awful death for Herschel. Why does the moral compass on this show always die? Is it to point out that the compass needs to be adjusted? The morals you and I have in a non-zombie apocalypse society no longer works. Huh. Actually, that last sentence should have been, the morals you and I have in a non-zombie apocalypse society no longer works? She put a question mark on it. <laughs> there was a question mark there. You're supposed to, you know, phrase that in the form of a question. And I, I know, I know, I got it wrong the first time. So, another interesting point. Dale was yeah. the moral compass. He died. Herschel moral compass. Now he's dead. Um, so it's happened at least twice. Um, and Milton, you could even say, was a bit of a moral compass for the governor, and he's dead. So we're all dead. So are they trying to make this point that you know what the morals you had before? are invalid now. So yeah. those characters that try to hang on to them, they always die. If you don't like someone, kill them. <laughs> Comes down to that, I guess. <laughs> and then your moral compass can go wherever you'd like. Yeah, or it'll end up in some other character who's just bound to die later on. That's right. All right, so we have an email from Simon in Sherbrooke, Quebec. <laughs> now, Simon apologized for his English, but it was actually pretty good. Uh, we made a few edits for clarity. Hope you don't mind. Uh, regarding Megan, what kind of parent lets their child play in the mud like that, especially with all the time they spend doing laundry? That is funny. Maybe they like doing laundry. <laughs> yeah, maybe. And, of course, there was a buried zombie. What are the odds? I felt really, uh, I really felt like the writers needed a quick and easy way to push the governor to the final edge and get rid of a useless character. It, it's lazy work here, I think. And how the hell did Lily drive all the way to the prison, knowing exactly where it is, which side of the governor? Which side the governor governor was on, and show up under the rain of bullets carrying Megan just to prove a point? Nonsense. So the first thing I want to say here about Simon's email is that when we recapped the episode, I think you mentioned that uh, how the hell did she walk all the way to the prison from where she was, and how did she know where it is, and so on? Yeah, but she clearly drove because in that scene. Um, there's a car with the doors open behind her. So she drove there. Oh. Now she knew, I, I think it's still you know questionable that she knew where it was, but I think we can assume that maybe the governor said, uh, no, earlier in the episode, he said it's up Highway 34 or 38 or something like that. So, so they knew. Follow the tank sounds. Or follow the tank sounds, yeah. So I don't think it's, it's uh, all that crazy to think that she would know where it is and where to go. And considering she drove, she could have got there pretty fast. Yeah, I just don't. I don't buy it, really. I mean, your your daughter dies. Uh, you kill the zombie. You pick her up. You walk over to the nearest car. You put her in it. You take her for a drive. You stop in the middle of a firefight. You open the doors. You grab your dead daughter out of the car, and then you walk with her over to somebody who's in the middle of a firefight, and go see. It's uh, you're right. It it doesn't work in many ways, but I think the the actual traveling from wherever she was to the prison is fine. That was sort of a problem yes. I had. Motivation like, and actual, you know, plot, stupid. But she's distraught, too. She's not thinking straight. She's She wants to take the daughter to, to the governor and say, see, see what happened. Look what happened because of you. And she's not thinking about anything else, right? But right. the thing I had a, have a problem with mostly is that she knows that, she puts her daughter in the car and drives somewhere. That's an awfully small enclosed space to be driving around with somebody that's about to wake up as a zombie. Right, and the governor had to take care of that situation, so uh, she was capable of you know, waking up and becoming a zombie. So the only answer to that is obviously she put her in her seatbelt. Or in the trunk. What kind of car was it? It was a it was a sedan. I don't know, a small sedan. It had a trunk, I think. So it had a trunk? Okay, yeah. so you, you know, like I... I she doesn't have the presence of mind to, uh, uh, to to not go and to wait for his return or to you know mourn or you know hang out with the other people at the uh, the group of RVs because there were other people there. Yep. Uh, so she had the forethought to put the uh, put her daughter in a trunk, not so that uh, she wouldn't wake up as a zombie. And then luckily she didn't because uh, she grabbed her out of the trunk and still wasn't a zombie and was able to get to the governor. And the governor's like, "Whoa, what'd you bring this here for? I gotta have to take care of this." It does Stupid. it does seem awfully risky, I'll I'll say. But all that aside, it was a good story moment and a good uh, dramatic beat in the episode. Right. So, it works for me on that uh that level alone. Okay. 
Uh, this next email comes from Jim in Franklin, Maine. He says, burning bodies is actually very difficult. You have to remember that approximately 65% of a human body is water. Even splashing gas on a human body is not going to do much more than burn clothes, hair, and some skin. Even using wood, I think you will need at least as much wood as bodies to completely burn up a pile of bodies. Disposing of zombie bodies will be a huge problem. Mass burials will probably be the easiest method with precautions, depending on how communicable and toxic the disease is. <clears throat> right. So this is obviously about Michonne and Herschel at the very beginning burning the zombie bodies. And I said, why waste gasoline doing that? And I think I was right, because it's not going to do anything anyways. Right. <laughs> so, yeah, you need uh, a lot of external fuel in order to do that. I think somewhere along the lines I mentioned that, where, you know, cremation... You don't just, you know, light the body on fire and wait till it's ashes. You need to put it in a chamber with a lot of extra, you know, some kind of gas to, to keep the fire hot, hot, and hot. Hot and burning, yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> so, I don't know. I mean, as Jim says, I guess the best thing to do would be to bury them, but you don't want to bury them too close to where you're living. You're going to run out of space quickly and so on. So, no, I don't and that's know. a health hazard as well. Yeah, I don't right? know. There's... If there's water running through that ground, you don't want it going into the streams. Yeah, exactly. I don't know that there's any great way to get rid of that many zombie bodies. What, you mean millions upon millions? Millions upon millions, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Uh, you just have to leave them where you kill them or something like that. Some sort of giant landfill, but man, that would get nasty quick. It really, really would. Now, here's a question, though. All right, ask your question. Uh, he, living human beings are 65 or 70% water. Yep. But dead, rotting corpses, I think, would be less. It's like a dead tree, you know, a dead branch loses its moisture after a while and dries out and there, therefore burns really fast. Would a zombie body have the same properties? Yes, except that weren't these the bodies of the people that died in the prison and therefore pretty fresh? Uh, yeah, they were. That's right. They were, I guess, some of those and maybe a few zombies. Well, no, they, they were, were getting rid of the people that were in the prison. Yeah, right? you're All right. All the, the people that died from the disease and had to be put down or the uh, the zombie, you know, internal zombie attacks, including that guy at the beginning. Right, that's true. So, yeah, that uh, just basically it boils down to there's just no way. Certainly not with these ones. With with older zombies, with older corpses, it might work better. Yeah, is sort of what Especially I'm thinking. Especially if they're leaking. If they're leaking, like they've yeah, they, all they've their fluids out are gone. All their fluids onto yeah. the ground while they're walking around. Uh huh. Yeah. All righty. Well, that's so that works. Uh, that's that works, I guess. So only burn the really old zombies. All right. So we have an email from Danny in L.A. What was Sasha trying to offer Bob to repay him for saving her life? Sex, maybe. No, I'm going to say no to this one. Uh, <laughs> I, you know, Danny sent us an email. I think he called us with this question, and he sent me a message on Facebook. So He really wanted you to read this on the air. That's why it's here, absolutely. Now, okay. that's, that's fine. I, don't, I did not pick up any kind of, of uh, offer in what Sasha was trying to do there. Did you? Uh, no. No. But I, it's a quid pro quo. You know, I, all I saw this was her trying to say thank you and Bob not being a very good thank you acceptor. <laughs> Is that, that the technical term? Well, do you have a better word? Recipient? Recipient. Thank the you, thank recipient. <laughs> thank you, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> and And that's it. And clearly Sasha was in, well... Not great shape anyway. She almost fell down, had to brace herself against the wall. I don't think she was any shape to have any sex at all. No, not good sex anyway. <laughs> no. So why don't, if that's what she was doing, wait a couple of weeks and right. then be like, hey, Bob, I want to thank you for something from two weeks ago. Yeah. You know? Or you know, just be, I'll just lie here. Let me know when you're done. Oh, God. Yeah. You, ha you had to go there. <laughs> so next one is uh, is you. All right. Email John from Auckland, New Zealand. I was mightily impressed with the mid-season finale, and there was one moment in particular that really stood out to me. When the governor and Rick were fighting, and the governor started to strangle Rick, there were a few seconds where I genuinely thought that Rick was going to die. 
Going into this episode, I was sure that Rick was going to survive, but those moments when it lingered on his face going purple had me really, really worried. The relief of Michonne's katana appearing was fantastic. I think this is a real credit to the episode that it was able to convince me, if only for a second, that the lead protagonist was gone. Did you guys have a similar thought, or were you confident of his survival throughout? Jason? Well, I was confident. I, I knew he wasn't going to die. I'm with you. I, I knew, too. I, I, I don't... It's not because of the story. Because of the story, I think he totally could have died. But uh, I just I felt confident in the uh, the production of this TV show that they're not going to kill off one of the you know main primary super characters that is, you know that's pushing the show forward. Yeah, your MPSC never dies, right? That's right. So so I never really thought he was going to die either. Now I don't think that Rick is absolutely one hundred percent safe. Of not from not dying on this show I think he could but if he does it will come near the end close to the end of the run of the show you know if if we just if they decide that the Walking Dead's going to have eight seasons maybe Rick will die two-thirds of the way through the eighth season something so like that. I'm gonna spoil uh, Breaking Bad okay and, and I'm actually saying this before the spoilers so uh... Good on me. All right, so this is uh, this is important, people. If you haven't watched Breaking Bad, Jason's about to spoil it. Okay, so stop the podcast and go watch all of Breaking Bad, then come back tomorrow and finish this podcast. Yeah, if you do that all in 24 hours, you will be tired, hungry, possibly alone, but not disappointed. That's right. Okay, so enough spoiler alert. Similar to, so what you're talking about is what happened to Hank in Breaking Bad. Um, when did Hank die? Hank died like uh, three se- three episodes before the end. You're correct. He did. Yeah, and he was a major character. He was a, he was an awesome character. I loved Hank. Not the lead character though. No, he's not the lead character, but he was Hank. He was the main antagonist. That's even though he true. didn't know his uh, uh, his brother in law was Heisenberg. He was the main antagonist. Yeah, that's true. So that's what I think could happen with Rick. Something will, if he's going to die, it's not going to be now. It's not going to be in the middle of a season randomly. It's going to be when we are reaching the climax of the show. We all know it's coming to an end or to a head. And uh, and it serves the story at that point for Rick to die. Right. So that's when I will be thinking, oh, my God, this could be the moment. This could be it. This could be it. Oh, no, it's not. <laughs> and then the next episode, this could be it now. Oh, maybe it will be. Oh. I don't know. <laughs> All right. So we have a, an email from Randy in Pennsylvania. I enjoyed the midseason finale, like most people, but was severely disappointed by Rick. He has gone from badass sheriff in the first season to farmer and man of reason this season. The toughest thing he did this, did this season was send Carl away, a questionable decision at Carol. best. Carol, sorry. Uh, I had hopes for uh, the old Rick would return after he strapped back on his gun, but his character continued the downward spiral in the mid-season finale. When the governor called him out, Rick uh, gave a Herschel-inspired speech, despite the fact that he knew the governor was a psychopath and negotiation had gotten him nowhere last season. Finally, the low point was when the governor basically defeated Rick quite easily and had to be saved by Michonne. How do you uh, how do you let the arch-villain defeat the supposed hero of the show in the most important moment of his story arc? Hell, even Lizzie gets more badass points than Rick this episode. The writers seem to have pushed Rick's credibility down while making Daryl a superhero, a cool guy who is nearly flawless at this point. What is going on? Well, I think uh, I think Rick's hands were tied to a certain degree. Michonne and Herschel were there, were right there. They were captive. They were hostages. A tank was pointing at him. You know, I wouldn't expect him to just try to open fire and and uh, defeat the governor, you know, in a, in a battle. I think it's more realistic that he would try to negotiate and maybe even back down for the sake of his people if he thought that that would actually save his people who were hostages. Right. Um. And I don't know that it completely tears Rick's character all the way down from, you know, what he was in the first season or first three seasons. Um, but it definitely does indicate that he's changed a great deal. Right. 
So I, I think that, uh, you know, the, the governor defeating Rick and Michonne having to come to his aid to save his life by uh, stabbing the governor through the chest with her katana, which was awesome. Um, what comes to mind for me is the old lost adage of live together, die alone. And the uh, in that the bad guys are lone characters that do things on their own whereas the good guys are a team and they help each other out and in order in order to survive and be good guys you have to rely on your friends yeah i i can i can see that and and the good characters are always always going to do that right and i don't think that makes rick less of a sort of badass and more of a man of reason but it maybe shows that he's uh He's gained the ability to reason a little bit better, which maybe he didn't have in the first the first season or two. Right. Which is a, a development of his character, so I think yeah. it's okay. <clears throat> a good example of this is, uh, I don't know if you ever read these this series of books, but The Belgariad and the Malorian by David Eddings? Nope. Do you ever read those? It's a, a, a high fantasy series of novels back in the 80s. Uh, quite good reading, actually. Go uh, go pick them up. So the, the David Eddings, the Belgariad, and the Malorian. They get to, it's all about this good versus evil, light versus dark, uh, the clash of these two uh, supernatural uh, ultra powers, and how the good guys are uh, the the goodness is embodied by a group of people, and the badness is embodied by a single individual. You might have to send me the names of those in an email because I don't know that I will ever remember them. <laughs> right, David Eddings. David Eddings, audibletrial.com slash talking dead. I'm not sure it's on Audible. Yeah, but, I know. Uh, not an, actual, actual books. <laughs> not an official Audible ad, but if they're there, good choice. Well, I'm going to go look. I don't, I don't even know. All right. While you're doing that, uh, let's read Troy on Facebook sent me a message. He says, I have a theory regarding our rat infiltrator. I really think our rat guy is Bob. I know a lot of people think it could be Lizzie, but I don't think she'd have the know-how in catching the rats, at least not alive. And with Bob cradling that box when Sasha was approaching him in the last episode, and with as nervous as he was getting, I think it's got to be him. Hmm. So first of all, apparently the animal that was dissected on the wall was a rabbit. It wasn't a... Well, it was. I thought it was pretty big to be a rat. Yeah. And I thought maybe it was a squirrel, but uh, I guess it's a rabbit. Scott Gimple in an interview said, Rabbit. So someone was dissecting rabbits. Why do they have to keep telling us stuff like this in interviews and, you know, outside of the story? We always have to find out that Carol was eaten by, not Carol, uh, what's her name? Lori. Lori was eaten by the the zombie. They had to tell us that. There's all kinds of information that the only way to get it across a prop- properly is to say it in an interview. That's, you know, that's a good very good point because it has come up a few times now there are people out there who claim um all over the place that that they pick up everything on the show right like there are people who claim that it was obvious that Lori's body was completely eaten by that that zombie i still think that was one of the biggest debacles this show has has given us (laughs) yeah but that's a whole different thing um you know the animal that was dissected on the wall in this episode I don't know that it's super important what kind of animal it is. So the fact that it wasn't clear doesn't really bother me too much. But, yeah, you're right. I mean, these things should be made clear on the show so that we don't have to worry about them later. I don't know. Right. Anyways, what do you think of Bob being the guy who's doing this? Is I mean, what's what would Bob's motivation be? Learning anatomy? Feeding I, zombies because he loves them so much? I suppose uh, he is a doctor, so maybe he's brushing up on his rabbit anatomy. Maybe he's drunk, or he's drunk. Yeah, maybe he's when like, I gotta go feed the zombies, it's because we're hungry out there. You gotta catch a rat. <laughs> there's there's all those people out there. They must just be hungry. I'll bring they them some be food. hungry. Hop some barley soup. <laughs> you should be drunk when you do the podcast all the time. Yeah, it'd be awesome. Yeah, I don't know about that. <laughs> uh okay jason let's give kevin from chicago the last word uh okay so before we do that uh david eddings all the belgaria the malorian are available on audible there's 10 books go get them they're good good listens good reads all right so kevin from chicago i took some advice from you guys 
and I thought I would share the story. My fiance, my fiance, fiance, <laughs> my fiance and I were setting up our Christmas tree this past weekend. I wanted to relax after the tree was up and put the ornaments on the tree the following day. I told my fiance, this sounds like a job for Tomorrow Man. <laughs> after explaining to her who Tomorrow Man is, she stared at me like I was a moron. She then dropped three boxes of ornaments in my lap, and I knew I was bested. Clearly, happy wife, happy life trumps the idea of Tomorrow Man. At least in my my house, house household, it does. Ha ha. <laughs> so, uh, first of all, Kevin, never take advice from us. <laughs> what? I think it's good advice. Tomorrow Man is much better equipped to put ornaments on a tree that took a long time to put up. Than right now, man. Um, does... <laughs> Does your significant other's opinion, Jason, factor into your tomorrow guy theory in any way? Uh, I don't think it's ever really come up. Usually when I say I'm going to do that tomorrow, my wife is usually okay with it. Interesting. But but then again, maybe she's not, and I just go, okay, and do what she tells me to do because I'm like that too. Maybe <laughs> it, I, I don't know. Well, interesting. If anyone else out there has tried the tomorrow guy theory and had success or not so much success, I would like to hear about it. But thank you, Kevin, for writing in. Yeah, and try it again. And you, know, uh, you, gotta keep, you know, if at first you don't succeed, try and try again. And I hope your Christmas tree turned out just as beautiful as you hoped. Yeah, and, <laughs> and if your wife forces you to do something you, want, you don't want to do, uh, just do a half-assed job. <laughs> it's the American way, <laughs> as yeah. Homer Simpson said, right? Uh I think it was Bart. Bart said that uh, something about a girl was getting him to uh, to polish something or to, uh, do something. This is showing our age because this was in the uh, mid-90s that Bart did this. People know said, our age anyways. I'll, I'll show her I'm doing a half-assed job. And then I think Homer steps in and says, no, no, no. Homer steps in because something's hard. And he says to Bart, if something is hard, you don't, you know, try your best you go into work every day and do a half-assed job or something like that oh we got uh, we got different quotes going on here yeah all right i'm thinking of a different episode where uh uh, a girl is getting bart to do a bunch of stuff okay well anyways thanks for listening to the simpsons podcast everybody (laughs) i hope you enjoy it totally do that what start at the beginning start at the beginning and watch all the simpsons the first season of the simpsons the animation was just horrendous it was it was so bad um and I haven't watched The Simpsons regularly in years now. It's been a long time. It might have been the 90s when I last watched it regularly. Yeah, all our references are from the 90s. <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> We're old. Yeah. <laughs> all right, everyone, that's all the feedback. Thanks to everyone who wrote in. It's always amazing and super fun to read your theories and insights and, and uh, you know, often pick up on things from the episode that, you know, we didn't think of the first time through. So yeah. that's why I love doing these feedback shows because it's really, really just fun to see what everyone else thought. So no new episodes coming up until February the 9th. So that throws off our schedule, of course. But like I said off the top, I'm okay with that. Our next podcast, Jason, when's that going to be? Oh, my goodness. Okay, our next podcast is going to be on the 16th of December. Monday, December 16th is when we will record, so you should be getting that sometime overnight that night and be able to listen to it starting on the Tuesday. And what we want to do on that episode is we'll probably get caught up on The Walking Dead news because there's some casting and things like that that we should talk about, but also do a segment on your predictions. We want to hear from you excuse me, we want to hear from you about what you think is going to happen in the second half of season four. It can be the first episode back, it can be the last episode, it can be vague, wild theories, or it can be, you know, the best thing you got. So send in your predictions and we will play and or read as many of them as we can on that episode. Hopefully not everyone sends in the same thing, but uh, that doesn't usually happen. So we should be good to go. Um, and then after that, I think we're going to break for, you know, the holidays for the Christmas season and so on and come back on January the 6th with a podcast. And then when, when are we going after that, Jason? January 27th, right? Yeah, we're going to do the 27th and then we'll be back on the 10th because the episode comes, they come back on the 9th, right? Right. So January 6th, 
January 27th. On the 27th, we are going to be reviewing the first half of the third book in the Governor trilogy, <laughs> the uh, the novels. So that's the right. Fall of the Governor Part 1. By then, we will have read it and we'll review it on that show. And then, like you said, February the um, 10th will be the uh, after the uh, mid-season premiere, and we'll be back to the regular schedule then. So look out for that. So in the next couple of weeks, send in your predictions for the rest of season four. We want to get them on the next show. And then if you want to read the, uh, the book, you can send us your thoughts on that so we can have a little bit of listener perspective on that as well. Yeah, absolutely. That'd be fun. And that podcast on the 6th, who knows what'll be on that one. We'll figure it out later on. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. But always send your feedback and your comments because we always love to get that. You can call us on the toll-free Zomb line, 1-866-483-ZOMB. That's 9662. You can find us on Twitter at Talking Dead, on Facebook at facebook.com slash thetalkingdead, or by email at talkingdeadpodcast at gmail.com. One last thing before we wrap up, uh, some people have been using our Amazon link, which is amazon.talkingdeadpodcast.com. Big thank you to everyone that has done that. Like I've always said, every little bit helps. And uh, if you want to do the same, just hit that link before you do all your holiday shopping is at Amazon. And uh, we really appreciate everyone who has taken the time to do that. So, Jason, if there's nothing else, do you have anything else? I can't think of anything. All right. I've said everything I need. I want to say. I've spoiled all the shows I want to spoil. I've talked about all the Audible books I want to talk about today. Um, I'm good. I'm good. In that case, for The Talking Dead, my name is Chris. My name is Jason. Thanks for listening. We'll see you in a couple of weeks. Bye. <laughs>